Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for lack of insight and for baseless opinions. Today is August 17th, 2022, and this is episode 348. My name is Jake English. And I'm Scott Magnus. Wait, is this is this allowed? What, who are you? Is this like an MCU crossover event? What are we What are we doing here? I don't know what we're doing here, and I haven't been able to figure that out for 10 years, but um, let's no. just, let's try this out. Scott, I'm... I'm recording a podcast. Yeah. Do we have to? <laughs> and you're here. Uh, that is true. Um, the the two stallions have once re- again returned to the barn. Wild stallion. To mate once again. I mean. <laughs> That's not okay. On this week's show, Scott and I will try to get to know each other again. We'll also try to figure out what the heck happened to Fantasy Boss. And we'll do all that right after we lubricate the show. That's right. It's time for the drink of the week. Scotty, what are you drinking? So, Jake, I am drinking a Trogues Independent Brewing Cranberry and Blood Orange Tart Ale from the good country of Hershey. Um, yeah, nice little, you know, flavor. Not too tart. Um, they recommend serving it in a chalice. Uh, I'm just going to drink it out of a can. Uh, how about you this evening? You know, it's funny. I've been I've been getting myself into a couple more sours than usual, but not tonight. Tonight, I've gone with a haze of glory from Duclaw. Gotta be honest, since Duclaw left Bel Air, I've, uh, I've taken a break. Yeah. Uh, from, from, uh, Duclaw, but I'm giving it a shot. It's a New England style IPA. It's all right. It's all right. If you're interested to see what we're drinking on a daily, weekly, hourly basis, go find us on Untapped. I'm at JakeE4025. I'm at MAGN8606. And with that, Let's get a 280 character less this week on the Twitters. Jake, start us off. All right, I want to start with a tweet from Paul Moncano. Of course, tweets at Paul Moncano. He tweets, including today, uh, that's today, the Orioles have 11 games remaining against the Blue Jays and 10 against the Red Sox. So far, the Orioles are 6-2 and two versus Toronto. Of course, that's now 6-3. and three. And 5-4 and four versus Boston. And so, Scott, I ask you, we keep hearing about the brutal schedule at the end of the year. Being able to play the Blue Jays ten times, the team that we need to leapfrog if we're going to care about the wild card, and the Red Sox, the only other team that's worse than us in the AL East, that seems like uh, seems like a pretty good deal. Yeah, I mean, I w- I'd love to um, have um, some other folks' schedules where they're just playing the Nationals and the A's and stuff like that, but uh, it is what it is. But, yeah, I mean, I'm not downtrodden. Um, I more look at some, you know, games against the Astros um and I hear they have a heck of a first baseman slash DH um so like I said I'm I'm what this season has been all about beating expectations so let's just go in there and see what happens and uh, we'll just go from there um the next tweet you know kind of talking about the schedule as a whole uh comes from Nathan Ruiz you can follow him at Nathan S Ruiz Orioles have lost the season series to the Rays Mariners and Twins with game 163 no longer in play, that is significant. Of course, this is a reference to there is no game 163 anymore. Tiebreakers are based off of season series records. And by, again, losing to the Rays, losing to the Mariners, the Orioles would have to beat them 
in the win-loss record um, going forward at the end of the season. So if the Orioles tie with them, um, no can do. You're not going to get a wild card spot. I was really surprised by this news. Not in the fact that there are now a new, a new bunch of tiebreakers in baseball. I was surprised to hear that the Orioles, who have been agents of chaos in 2022, who have been Loki, if you will, didn't find a way to tie with all three of these clubs in some way, rainouts or what have you, so that the tiebreakers could go down to the most obscure, most ridiculous tiebreakers possible. If if the Orioles were truly, truly chaos this year, that would have happened. Yeah. Do you Did you take a look at the tiebreaker scenarios, by the way? Yeah, it was like uh, head-to-head, then inter or intra division Correct. and then inter division and then i think you saw uh, what the last one was whoever's right? taller i don't know no so what they do is they go to new york and they do the review and then new york basically makes the decision who that goes seems, to the playoffs that seems unbiased yes. I like that. <laughs> all right our next tweet comes to us from simply aj10 of course adam jones and responding to a tweet from tory smith about going back and uh, having some sort of relationship with the eagles a team he played for aj tweeted the follow the following that's awesome you can go back to all your teams and feel welcome all right scotty so this is clearly a clap at the orioles yes um, l- let me just ask how much of this do you think is about adam and how much of this do you think is about the orioles i think it's both honestly it's a matter of like i don't think the orioles have handled the whole situation with adam very well um i know that he was tendered an invite to come out he decided not to accept it to the, the 30th anniversary. Um, it just seems like it's, I don't know. It, it's just interesting is the best way to put it. I know this is going to get resolved in, in, in the future. It's just right now it's very odd is the best way to put it. I love Adam Jones. He made watching the Orioles so much fun during a time when it was a lot of fun. Yep. Uh, I have nothing but fond memories or, or warm feelings for him. Yep. And having said that, I also know that he's got an ego on him. Of course. I also know that he wants to be treated a particular way. And if he's not, he's going to act out. And I got to be honest, if he were going to be acting out, I feel like it would look a lot like this. Yeah, I, I agree to a certain regard. I will say, though, like if the if the miracle does happen and the Orioles do manage to get to the playoffs and host a playoff game, Adam Jones needs to be throwing out the first pitch. Yeah, absolutely. Like. The Orioles need to basically go to him and say, listen, we want you here. You are a representation of the last time that the team was here in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. We want you back. Like, what's it going to take, like, to get you out here? Um, And I think his answer is going to be, I'm willing to come back, but I got to pie Brandon Hyde in the face. (laughs) I want to manage the first uh, playoff game. Yeah. All right. What else we got on the Twitter? Last one comes from Jeff Zebrek. You can follow him at Jeff Zebrek. Wait a minute. Doesn't that guy cover football? What's going on here? He does. This is not episode 89 of he, Bird's Eye View. He does cover football on, and, and tweet goes as follows. Harbaugh quotes, how about them oh, Orioles? Love the way they're playing. Love the manager. Uh, and I'm sure you also saw this a standpoint where he's wearing an Orioles hat. Um, he's not wearing the O's hat. He's wearing the bird. bird. Um, and he also gave the whole um, you know goggles aspect. Um, like the classic middle-aged dad that he is um, going forward. So, yeah, um, I appreciate this, I guess, a little bit, but it's kind of easy to kind of see through the charade of, I don't know, it's fine, I guess. This is the thing you're supposed to do. I, I guess so. 
back when I was younger and more naive, I was just like, wow, like John Harbour and Buck Walter actually talked to each other. That's pretty cool. And now I realize it's like, yeah, they didn't really talk to each other. Like they just said they talked to each other. When the other team is doing surprisingly well, this is the thing you do. Yeah. All right. Well, as we said before, uh, me and Jake haven't talked Orioles baseball in a while. Um, so, and you are. So I, why don't we do this? Why don't we stretch out, get into the best shape of our lives and, um, you know, come off the IL as it were and uh, go around the bases and try to figure out how do we do this whole baseball thing once again? Scott with two T's. Two T's. Two T's. All right. I'm going to write that down. All right, Scotty, here we are. Let's go around the bases. I have a question for you. Sure. This could be me. Yeah. Right? This could be meaning to lay down on the couch and, and work out my feelings, but I have a question for you. Sure. Is there a problem with the Orioles offense? And I and I asked this with, with a couple of caveats. Sure. Right? <clears throat> this is unlike me. But I did a little bit of research. What? Not a lot. It wasn't it wasn't in depth and it wasn't serious and, and it wasn't deep. But I did some research. In the sixteen games that the Orioles have played in August. Let me try that again. In fifteen games that the Orioles have played in August. You did research. <laughs> I didn't look, I was told there would be no math. The Orioles were averaging three point eight six runs per game. Okay. Okay. In the ten games that they won. 6.2 runs per win. Okay. In the games that they lost, 1.6 runs per game. And look, this is not this is not uh surprising. Yeah. Like you you score a bunch of runs, you win. You don't score a bunch of runs, you lose. And they, they won more games. It's like 10 10 and 5 or 10 and 6. They they've won more games than they've lost. So sure. that's that's good. But maybe this is recency bias, maybe it's not. It seems like the Orioles offense has disappeared at times in the past couple of games. A near no hitter here, an anemic performance offensively in, in the series finale in the loss to Toronto. And so my question to you is, is there a problem or am I just not liking what I'm seeing in the minority of games that they're playing? All right. So I agree with you that, you know, this is nothing against the Orioles. The Orioles continue to do really well um, as of recently, but I do kind of agree with you that I think there is a slight problem with the Baltimore Orioles as a whole. Um, you know, even those games that we in essence won, um, there was a lot of success at the bottom end of the order. Uh, Mateo has been absolutely amazing as of late. Um, but I mean, I look up and down the lineup and I'm like, besides Adley Rutschman, besides Jorge Mateo, besides Anthony Santander, and sometimes Cedric Mullins, that's it. Like though, that's all everyone who has been hitting. Um, Austin Hayes has, you know, become deceased is the best way to put it at the plate. Um, Ryan Mountcastle outside of playing Toronto doesn't look like an actual, you know, major league baseball hitter. Um, Rognitador is being Rognitador. Um, yeah, there's just a lot of gaps throughout the entire lineup. Booed in Canada and tolerated elsewhere. Yeah. Begrudgingly tolerated elsewhere. So, yeah, I mean, I do think there is an issue here specifically of, you know, I like, I still like Mullins in that leadoff spot. It's been interesting to see McKenna get a chance as well mm-hmm. in that leadoff spot. And let's, let's give credit to McKenna. I mean, he's had a very small sample size over the past 30 days. I'm sorry, what? Very small sample size. A what? Small sample size. Um, See, I, this is the Scott Magnus yeah. I know. But again, 
34 plate appearances for McKenna over the past 30 days. Um, 158 weighted runs created plus, 333 on average, 375 on base percentage. McKenna's been doing very well offensively. Um, I just, like I said, the the lack of another productive outfielder, um, I think, really hurts us. I I don't want to be, I don't want to be misunderstood here. Yeah, I, I'm worried about the hate mail. Yeah, I'm worried about the hate tweets. But I feel like the Orioles' offense has been overachieving. And, you know, you just pointed out some of the holes in the game, but, you know, we're getting meaningful punch in the arm from a shot in the arm from Vavra, from McKenna, from Mateo, guys who I think are, are playing outside of what we should expect from them. Sure. And that's great. Like, that's the kind of, of, of productive team that you want that has complementary players that can lift you up when you're stars are not you know firing on all cylinders and the next great orioles team is going to need guys to come up like mckenna and vavra and give us meaningful that's awesome sure but i don't know that the orioles as constituted are necessarily going to continue this incredible playing outside of their their uh their peripherals and i think we're starting to see and feel some of that friction now that when things are firing, yes, it's awesome. They win seven to two. Sure. But you also have more and more of these games that are like the offense disappears until they finally get a hit and, you know, their second hit in the eighth yep. or, you know, whatever. And again, I think we've got to look at, you know, both today's performance where they had a perfect game going into the seventh inning. And then we have to look at, you know, Sunday's game where they had a perfect game or no hitter, I should take, say, going into the ninth inning. Um, and yes, those look really bad. Um, you know, and I mentioned a few players that are, you know, doing very poorly. But if we look at the entire team composition for August, um, the Baltimore Orioles, on a whole for all of August, have 120 radio runs created plus, a 338 on base percentage, um, and a slugging of 440. That puts them good for fifth best right now in batting in all Major League Baseball for the month of August. But I agree, like, there seems to be, as you pointed out, a deviation, as you said. In the games that you're hitting, they hit really well. They're getting, you know, five plus runs is basically what put it. Uh, the games that they're not hitting, you know, they are getting one to two runs and squeaking it out. And I think it'll all line out, but it gets really frustrating when you see them like, okay, well, they just had a bad day yesterday and then they come back and they're doing great. And you're like, like, well, good. I'm just glad they got over that really quickly. And then it kind of reappears again. And it's a question of why is that occurring? And what is going to prevent the team from falling into those kind of doldrums, as it were, days is the best way to put it. Yeah, and, you know, we've been through this before. The The team in 2012 was better than it should have been, yep. right? It, it absolutely was, and that team won 93 games, and they went to the playoffs, and, look, I get that. Like, I'm not saying the Orioles aren't going to perform well this season. I'm just, I'm concerned that what we are experiencing is not real. You know, that, that it's a bit of smoke and mirrors, and some of those smoke and mirrors are starting to become exposed. And, uh, you know, again, even if the walls fall or the wheels fall off tomorrow, I love everything about what I've gotten out of the 2022 season. And, and frankly, I think we'll continue to have a, a fun season to watch. Don't get me wrong. But I think there, there come a day when we talk on this show about what we need to add to this club to compete. I don't want to have that discussion today. Sure. 
But I think that what we watch over the next two months and what doesn't show up offensively is going to lead to that discussion. Sure. I think it's going to be a question of um, no, not so much an aspect of is it good enough, but what is going to be necessary to take it to the next level? Right. Um, is the best way to put it. And that doesn't mean that the Orioles are not playing good right now. It's just a question of it's so close to being excellent that you're just like, what is missing? Like, what else is missing? And I think that kind of comes to the whole conversation that we're going to go into next, which is second base, which is debuts. Uh, I, I got to be really careful. Yeah. I'm going to hit every back. So wait, I'm going to stop. I'm going to touch first base. Yep. All right. Let's go to second. And again, people have been looking at this standpoint as it relates to the offense, looking at Rogan Nudor and Brett Phillips, you know, me and Bob Feeling were talking about this last week, specifically as it relates to debuts. And then people think people see the gaps that are present in the lineup and are saying stuff like, we need to make a debut. We need to go ahead and bring people up. One of those players that made a debut this past week was D.L. Hall, um, who who made an appearance in a spot start in Tampa on Saturday. Um, and it was an interesting start. I will say that much. Um, you know, Jake, did you get to watch that game at all? I did. I mean, what were your impressions kind of watching him? I thought it was a combination of, oh, my God, that stuff is electric. And once it gets fine tuned here at the major league level. It's going to be filthy. However, I will say that the reason it's been so long is that Hall was still having starts in AAA recently yep. where things weren't firing all cylinders, right? He didn't have it all together. And so it's still he's still a, pro, a, a work in process, right? Sure. But there were also moments where that stuff really, really worked. I mean, he was getting strikeouts. His stuff looked filthy. It just wasn't – it wasn't a completely – well-packaged game from him. Sure. Um, and so I was really excited about what I saw, but I also looked at what I got from DL Hall and said, oh, well, that's why Spencer Watkins is starting, mm -hmm. right? Like, oh, okay, I get it. And don't get me wrong, he's going to get meaningful uh, time in the majors in, in what will be a relief role or, you know, gosh, if something happens to one of our starters, you know, maybe he'll get more spot starts. I think that all of the components are there for him to get what he needs from major league coaching, from the education that the major league hitters will provide him to make sure that in 2023, when we need him, he'll have a much better chance of being ready. But what I saw in that start was electric, super fun stuff some of the time. Yeah, and um, what I saw was a pitcher that was really amped up, really out of control mm -hmm. um, as it relates to body mechanics, biomechanics, um, just a lot of just, you know, emotion. And like I said, there was definitely stuff there, but it was almost a standpoint of like, I kept watching that game and thinking to myself, someone needs him just to go out there every so often and just say, calm down. You got this. Like, and it didn't seem like it. It was almost like DL Hall is known for being a pitcher that doesn't spend a lot of time between pitches. But I kept thinking to myself, take an extra two seconds and just, Mm -hmm. take a breath enjoy the moment it's really interesting you say that because in the modern game with the mound visits remaining yeah you don't have that luxury sure you know you can't send adley rutschman out there to say hey but i gotcha you know take a deep breath well, we, regardless we can't send adley rutschman out there to see him because we got to send robinson Trinos out there to to catch his game apparently <laughs> Woof. all right so we have seen uh deal hall he's going to be used uh, as a reliever what do you think about that for the rest of the season I mean, I think it's fine. I think it's one of those matters where, like, I trust him a lot more than, like, a Bowie Sosler. Um, I, 
like I said, I, I, I think it's, it makes a ton of sense. I don't think it has to be bring him, bringing him in in high level situations. Um, but I think maybe you piggyback him with someone like Kyle Bradish, um, and just see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. Or, or both. Uh, you know what? I would have said both before. Um, both looks like a starting pitcher right now. Like he's pitching five to six innings per game. He is going 80, 90 pitches. Like, I don't know. Who would have thunk it? I mean, there's no way I would have thunk it. But like Austin Voth, it looks like a starting pitcher to me. Like he looks like more the a starting pitcher than Spencer Watkins does to me. Sure, sure. And that's nothing against Spencer Watkins. Like I said, I I am a notorious kind of Spencer Watkins hater. Is the best way to put it. I'm a card carrying member. Yeah, yeah. But I just like I said, we'll make it work. Is the best way to put it. Um. But yeah, like I said, uh, Dia Hall. That's fine. Put him in the bullpen. See what happens. Um, we'll see how much he gets to pitch in September. How about that? So we saw Deal Hall. Yeah. We've been waiting. We got it. Yep. Um, my next question to you is, will there be more debuts this season? No. Oh, you mean for the entire team? Yeah, yeah. Oh. I think Kyle Stowers is coming up soon. Okay. Like, I don't see how Kyle Stowers doesn't come up. Are you kidding me? Who who on this roster could they possibly yeah. get rid of to make room for Stowers? Yeah. That doesn't even make sense. I mean, even the standpoint of like if you think September and you go and expand rosters, like Kyle Stowers has to be out to the forty man roster um, this offseason as it is because he's going to be Rule Five eligible. So, I like Kyle Stowers just makes sense to me in, in its entirety. But that's not a debut. He's been here for a cup of coffee. That's true. That's true. Um, he has been here, but he's never been added to the 40-man roster. That is true. We're dodging the question. Yeah. Will one of the big guys debut this season? You mean Grayson Rodriguez? Do you think that he'll be healthy enough? And if he's healthy enough, do you think it'll happen? I think if Grayson Rodriguez was throwing sim games right now and not just throwing off a mound, I think it's possible he would pitch in September. I think if we don't see him throwing sim games as of next week, I don't think he throws in September. Um, I would love to see Grayson Rodriguez come up for for one game or two games, um, but I just don't think it's going to happen. Can I provide an unpopular opinion? Sure. The pitching is not the problem with this team when it has problems. Don't get me wrong; I'm not yeah. I'm not hating on the Orioles. I'm just saying, like, sure. I, I don't think pitching is the issue, mm-hmm. and there is zero reason to rush Grayson Rodriguez. There's no reason. I, I understand where you're coming from. Um, but what I would point out to you is gas is no longer $5 per gallon anymore. It is now under $4 a gallon. Uh, so the gas man is allowed to come up to Baltimore if we so choose. All right. Uh, no infielders, you think, coming up to Baltimore. All right. So this is the, the age-old uh, Gunnar Henderson debate. Um, where is Gunnar Henderson playing right now? In the minors? No, no, no. Like, where is Gunnar Henderson playing when we promote him? I mean, second base, third base, shortstop. I wouldn't be moving Mateo from shortstop right now if it were me. Like, Mateo has pretty much a locked up aspect for me. So, in my opinion, you're playing either Gunner at third base or you're playing him at second base. So, your question is the way you you phrased it. Yeah, is do you do you promote and play Gunnar Henderson over Urias? Yep. I think you do. I think you do. And then the second part of your question is, do you 
promote uh do you, does urias just go to second base that is a that is a possibility do you think that the lineup is better with urias at second over odor of course okay i think it is better with jake english in the lineup over odor hear me out yeah hear me out yeah mateo is playing an absurd absurd shortstop absurd shortstop i don't he, think people realize how absurd jorge mateo is playing right he, now. he's great he he is every bit the shortstop that we could possibly want. Yeah. Okay. If you believe that Gunnar Henderson is your shortstop of the future, yep. Is there any reason that Jorge Mateo can't play an unbelievable second base? Is there any reason that his two forty batting average or whatever it is is more palatable at second base than it is at shortstop? I don't know if it's more palatable. I guess the question is like from a defensive range standpoint. Do I want Mateo at shortstop or do I want him at second base? And I feel like I still want him at shortstop. Okay. But if if he's competing for, for playing time with Gunnar Henderson, I want him on the field. I think I put Gunnar Henderson at third base. Okay. And I don't think I promote Jordan Restberg. Okay. Okay. I think that's what I feel. Is there any reason for Gunnar Henderson? Is there any baseball reason? Forget base, uh, business. Is there any baseball reason for Gunnar Henderson not to be promoted this season? Sure. He could actually play every single day in Norfolk. If he comes up with the Orioles, I don't know if he's a, I don't know if they play him every single day because I wonder if they're going to be cautious with him. That's the only concern I would have is. Does it really benefit him to come up? Um, and then it's also the question of. You know, how much of a big deal does it make to basically have Gunnar Henderson come up and play for the Orioles for the last 30 days for their playoff race? I mean, I don't know. It's a, it's a really tough standpoint for me in terms of, you know, how much he's going to do. Um, you know, right now, Fangraphs is saying that if he were to come up right now, um, he would be batting, we'll call it a 120 weighted runs created plus. It's pretty darn good for the major leagues. Yeah, I'd take that in a heartbeat. Yeah. And uh, again, it's just, you know, you look at what he's done for the entire 2022 season. He's basically played all shortstop and DH. Like he hasn't played. Oh, he has played third base a little bit. He's played 20 games at third base, 29 games at uh, at shortstop. So what you're telling me is that Fangraphs is telling you that every Orioles uh, minor leaguer is going to be at the regiment. Just come up and immediately be awesome. All right. So we think about this. <laughs> They are projecting Gunnar Henderson for 50 plate appearances to be a 0.3 war. You normally have 600 plate appearances. Um, so if we think about that, it's, that can't be right. Can't be right. Well, they're projecting him as a shortstop, too. Yeah, I mean, but that comes back down. That means he's a 3.6 to 4 war player. It's pretty darn good. I'll say this. I mean, it makes sense if you're like one of the top prospects in minor league baseball that they would project you out at like three to four war. But I, d- I don't think that the people screaming bloody murder for Gunnar Henderson are well, first crazy. Of, well, hold up a second. First of all, yeah, you asked me, what would you do? Would you bring up Gunnar Henderson right now to play third base? Yes. Okay. I would. And But the thing is, again, unpopular opinion. Yeah. Okay. If you If you bring up Gunnar Henderson. Yeah. I feel like you're waving the white flag for the season. Really? I do. Why? Because like I, I feel like you're only bringing up Gunnar Henderson if you're actually trying to win the season. I, from a baseball standpoint, yeah, 
have more faith in the known quantity of Ramon Urias and Rugnet Odor. And you're telling, Jorge you're talking Mateo. to me about known quantity yeah. when you've got CNL Perez and Joey Crable out in your bullpen. I'm saying you know what you're going to get with those guys, and you don't. You know is not on the team anymore. <laughs> there was a, there was a you know we'll talk about the Nashville thing in a minute, but uh, there was a you know at, at Nashville. I was like, no, that can't be the same guy. It wasn't the same guy. My point is, is that he could be awesome, right? He could yes. do he could do the Adley thing, but he he also might not. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that would be okay. Right. He comes up for, for the last month of the season and he's on the struggle bus and they throw him out there every day and he hits, you know, 180 and he comes back next year and he's much better player because of that experience. That, that is absolutely a possibility. Yeah. I, I don't know that bringing up Gunnar Henderson says we're doing everything that we can to win. I don't know. I feel like that's real. I mean, maybe it's not exactly the same because you know you're probably going to propone him as of next year. Um, I don't know. It's a weird situation. By the way, my answer was yes, I would bring him up. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I think you do that at the risk of we're really close, mm-hmm. and you're going to have you're going to have a rookie. Yeah. All right. So here's a question: in, under the strain of a pennant race, yeah. In, August and September. Yeah. I mean, this is kind of a side topic because it's classic bird's eye view. So I'm going to kind of, you know, go off the base at second base and dance around and try to distract the pitcher. Um, at the top of the order, you've got Adley batting in the, in the second position. You're okay with Adley in the second position, right? Yes. Yeah, me too. Um, who should be in the fourth spot right now? Who should be the cleanup hitter? We saw Austin Hayes in the cleanup hitter spot today. That makes no sense to me. Who's the cleanup hitter going forward for this team? I mean, I, I I feel like that's that's the same question of who's the closer, right? On a team like the Orioles, there shouldn't be one. It should be mm-hmm. the hot hand. It should be Mount Castle in Toronto. It should be right. Anthony Santander when he's on. It should be Austin Hayes when he's on, if right. he's ever on again. Right. It should be Mateo after he uh after he goes on a tear for a couple of days, right? It sh- it should be whoever Whoever's because, hot. because I don't think that the Orioles are built to have the cleanup hitter. Okay. Yeah, I just I, I don't know. It's just odd is the best way to describe it in terms of I'm not saying I'm against Gunnar Henderson. I'm just trying to figure out where do all these players play? And the Jordan Westbrook thing is even more interesting to me. Like, I don't know where Jordan Westbrook plays going forward. Like third base. Where does Gunnar Henderson play? Shortstop. Where does Jorge Mateo play? If he's if he's on the next great Orioles team. Yeah. Oh, he better be on the next great S- Orioles team. Second base. Yeah. Or he DHs that day. Yeah. Or one of those other guys. Or he's a super utility player or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Or, or he learns how to use an outfield glove. No, that's not possible. That's not possible. Can you, can you imagine how much ground we get covered out there? That'd be a lot of ground covered. That'd be a lot of ground covered. But so I'm on team uh bring bring Gunner Henderson. Bring the boys uh, up. But I am I am staunchly not aggressive online about it. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, third base. Uh, oh, are we doing? Hang on. Let me touch second. Touch second. All right. Let's go to third. All right. So we've had some players put up some incredible performances lately. Um, and we're a little curious on whether the players are going to contribute again to that next great Orioles team. And we've thrown out a few names here. So let's kind of walk through this and just ask the question both to each other, whether or not they're going to contribute on, on this next great Orioles team. So we just started talking about him. Jorge Mateo. What do you think? I think that. You have guys in the system like, uh, 
like Westbrook, uh, Westbrook, you have guys in the like Westberg and Henderson that are going to play on the left side of the infield. And so if Mateo is going to be on that next great Orioles club, he is going to have to play second base or super utility. Okay. I think that I want him because I love all the things that he brings. When you look at, when you look at how much speed has killed offensively, when you look at the gold glove caliber play he's played at shortstop. You want a guy like that in, on your club. I don't think he'll be that expensive to bring back, even in a super utility role. I just think that he needs to not be in the premier position that your kids are going to be in because that's why you got them. Yeah, I mean, Jorge Mateo is not a free agent until 2026. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is not arbitration eligible until the 2012-23 season. Um, so as of next season. So I agree. I don't think he's going to be that expensive, but... Yeah, the speed is just, you gotta have the speed, is the yeah. best way to put it. It changes the entire game. Um, so yeah, he is my super utility player going forward. He is the super Ryan Flaherty, um, to me. Love it. Um, Ryan McKenna. I think that Ryan McKenna is a very nice guy. Yeah. Great dude. Yep. I don't know that what we're seeing right now mm-hmm. is anything more than a blip. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think. It's possible, but I don't think that more playing time is suddenly going to show a different Ryan McKenna. I think we know what he is. He's Nate McLeod. He is. And so if you want Ryan McKenna to be your fourth outfielder, I'm fine with that. Yeah. I think if you want him to platoon with somebody that is not as defensively capable, I'm fine with that. I will also say, though, the Orioles have a lot of great outfield uh, prospects that are going to come up during the next window. Yeah. Um, you mentioned platooning, and it's even the aspect of platooning. We'll call it, you said, a not a good defensive player, but we've seen the Orioles platoon Cedric Mullins. What do you think about that move? You know, I think I think that Hyde has said that he's trying to take the pressure yeah. off of Mullins, and I can appreciate that. I think that Mullins is never going to have that crazy season that he had last year ever again. And so you have to do everything that you can to get as much good Cedric Mullins as possible. And so if Cedric Mullins has to play 140 games to be two-thirds of what he was in his best season ever, I'm okay with that. I'm of the opinion that Cedric Mullins should be playing every single day. Like, I don't I don't, don't think it should be a matter. Like, unless he needs rest from an injury standpoint, Cedric Mullins should be, we shouldn't be doing platooning of Cedric Mullins. There's just too much athleticism and skill there to make me say... He's a platoon where we have to bat him against, you know, he's a lefty, so only right-hand pitcher. So if a lefty pitcher comes up, I'm not batting Ryan McKenna against oh, yeah, lefty yeah, pitchers. Yeah. And, and I'm fine with that. But, you know, he was scuffling. Oh, sure. And and Hyde wanted to, to give him a, a mental break. And I, I, I'm i fine with that. And yeah. I, think that, I think that that's good and the right move and will happen more frequently. Jordan Lyles. <sighs> Jordan Lyles is interesting. And... I say that because, you know, we've got all this great pitching coming up. I would absolutely sign Jordan Lyles back to be the fifth starter. On you don't have team. to sign him. You can just take up his option. I mean, I mean, after that's over. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, uh, I'm I'm thinking not only 2023, but 2025. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. I would absolutely keep him around as long as he can be anywhere near as effective as he is now. For seven million dollars. For $7 million, I would pick up his option for next year. In 2024, we better not have Jordan Lyles on this team. I hope that we don't have to. At, 
at, we'll call it 33 going on 34 years old, we better not have Jordan Lyles on this team in 2024. This team went to the playoffs with Joe Saunders. I'm aware. And uh, uh, Wolf. Ed Wolf? What was it? Wolf's name? Uh, it was Redhead. Uh, not Derek Wolf, was it? No, no. Um, someone's Randy screamed. Wolf. Randy, Randy Wolf. Somebody's screaming Wolf. at the podcast right yeah. now. My point is, is if we didn't have to have a You're rotating. Right. We did really good in 2012. We went really deep in that in that playoffs. You're absolutely right. It was a really good um, aspect. And you know what? The bullpen did amazing as well. So um, here's a question for you. Sure. Do you think that Jordan Lyles could be an effective bullpen on? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. Because it's one of those situations that's so difficult to predict. People are always like, oh, yeah, he could convert. But again, depends on how quick he has to warm up and what the mentality is. Um, so my stance is I would bring him back for the boys. You say the boys have to grow up without him. The boys have to grow up without him. Um, like Jordan Lyles is not more than a fourth or fifth starter on a playoff team. Like, sorry, but like I want number ones and number twos when I'm a playoff team. Yeah, we're going to have a one and a two. We're going to need a five. Who? I hope it's Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall. D.L. Hall's not a number two. I said hope. D.L. Hall is a three or four, in my opinion. The Orioles still have a lot of work to do to basically get this rotation. Hang on. Next play. Next base. All right. uh, In or out uh, of the next great Orioles team, Spencer Watkins? Uh, Out. You know how I hate I hate Spencer Watkins. I I'm a hater. I don't hate him, but I agree. Yeah, I agree. Here's one, Dean Kramer. I'll, I'll give you this one. Spencer Watkins will be the next Keegan Aiken on the next great Orioles. Club. Yes. Oof. I don't know how I feel about that. You're not supposed to feel any good about that. It's just like it's a person. It's another body on the field. No. Can I tell you? I want Brian Baker to be the next. No. All right. Uh, Dean Kramer, in or out? In. In. Okay. But not in the starting rotation. <laughs> you think? Yeah, no chance. Huh. Okay. Let me take it one step further. Yeah. Bradish. Yes. In. Yes. As a starter. Yes. Okay. Okay, you have more faith in Kyle Bradish as a starter than Dean Kramer. Absolutely. Okay. I got to tell you, I I am becoming a believer in Dean Kramer. That's good. I mean, I know you want to win the Manny Machado trade. I, I know deep down in your heart, you do. Uh, I still think Dean Kramer... I think Yusniel Diaz is going to come up and be a great yeah. pitcher for us. I, and I'm not saying I don't like Dean Kramer. I'm saying I think Kyle Bradish has better stuff in general. Okay. Okay. I, I, I'm I fine with that. I'm fine with that. And last, just to, to round out at third base, we've talked about this ad nauseum. We've, we've over-talked this. But we just anointed... Jorge Mateo as our super utility uh, infielder. And so my question is, Ramon Urias, in or out? Um, I hope out. Let me ask you this. Yeah. What if Ramon Urias could learn how to play first base? Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about this because... Why is Nevin on this team? Because they don't have a first baseman because they traded away Trey Mancini. Yes. Yes. And so they do need a backup first baseman. Yeah, they like, do. And but that, if Ramon Urias could be uh Chris uh Chris Gomez, okay. right, and play every infield position. I just want to point folks, I, we're gonna put a timeout here for Bird's Eye View. Uh Jake just went to Dark Ages Orioles baseball and said, if 
Ramon Urias could be Chris Gomez of the terrible Dark Ages Baltimore Orioles. Just think of how much better shape we would be as Baltimore Orioles fans. All right, we're apparently not doing <laughs> phrasing. I apologize. <laughs> Listeners, I apologize. Uh, but if Ramon Urias could use a first baseman's glove, we wouldn't need Nevin on this team. And well, Nevin shouldn't be on this team regardless. I agree. But he's there because we got rid of Trey Mancini. So the question is, who can play back at first base outside of Adley Rutschman? I don't think the Orioles want to put Adley Rutschman over there at first base. I agree. Not yet. Not at this point in his career. Yeah. I don't think they want to. I don't think they just want to DH him, catch him, and then just put him on the bench when, when necessary. I will say that if Ramon Urias could play first base, that he could be on the next great Orioles. Goal. I think we'd be better off just signing Nelson Cruz and having him first base in DH. We should give him a 50-year contract because you know he'll be playing. Absolutely. Um, All right. Hang on. Let me touch third. Sure. Got it. Yep. Got third base. You hear that, Jabby? I got third base. Yeah. So coming into home plate, Mike Elias used the phrase liftoff in regards to this offseason. This came out of the you know 30th anniversary special. Um, and, and we'll talk about uh, this a ton in future episodes, especially when the season is over, on what the Orioles needs, who they should get. But the more immediate question is this. Are the Orioles actually going to do what they say? It is such a fascinating question, I think. Because, because look, what Michael Elias said yeah. in, in, in saying it's liftoff from here, yep. what he said and what he knew that people would, would take it as is that they are going to start investing in the ball club. Correct. And and they can do three things, right? They can go all in, and by that I mean big significant trades of prospects mm-hmm. to bring talent and holes and, and I don't want to talk about what, what they'll actually get back. Sure. And big purchases mm-hmm. to go out in the free agent market and and fill those holes, right? That sure. that is scenario number one. Go all in. Yep. Scenario number two, more of the hedge the bets. Modest trades and modest purchases to still bring, bring in additional talent. Sure. In addition to, uh, you know, the, the club that is already overachieving. Sure. And then the third scenario I, I, that I can see is that they renege on the liftoff promise. Yep. They extend the rebuild and they, they do what I would call anemic spending. And not really any significant trades to bring in talent. Sure. Though, though, I mean, am I missing anything? Those, I think, are the three possibilities for this offseason. I agree. And so... There's actually one more, but we'll cover that at the very end. Oh, no. I'm terrified. And so my question is, which of those three do you think? And, and so the whole discussion about the Michael Elias haters and the Michael Elias defenders on, on the Twitters really comes down to me to the same conversation that we've had forever as Oriole fans. And that is, are the Orioles really trying? Yep. And I'm sorry, but this is a team that expected me to get excited about the acquisition of Derek Lee. Mm -hmm. This is the team that asked me to get excited about the acquisition of Jay Payton. Mm -hmm. This is the team that got is tourist not as tourist uh um who was the uh, Cintron, Cintron Alex Cintron at shortstop and expected me to feel good about it there was a long period of time where this team was not trying to win sure period 
And lo and behold, they didn't win. Yep. This team, under the Elias regime, is doing something different. Mm -hmm. And whether we like it or not, they're trying to do something different so that they will not be in a position where they're asking us to feel better about not trying to win. Because in addition to bringing in the Derek Lees of the world and the Jay Paytons of the world, they were also being terrible at the draft, at, at the developmental uh, organizational side of the Orioles. We have already seen that they're better at that point, right? And so now we're asked to believe that they're actually going to go through and open their wallets. I, I don't know that they will, mm-hmm. but they have spent money to do that ridiculous thing to the wall. They have spent money in Central America. They have spent money in the draft. And they've made good, frankly, on all of the promises that the organizational buildup were made. They've made good on those things. Adley Rutschman, the fact that we're arguing about whether Gunnar Henderson should be here, the fact that we're seeing uh, the availability of D.L. Hall and the readiness of Grayson Rodriguez before his, his injury. I think that if Mike Elias said in public, it's go time, that it's at least hedge your bets or go all in. I would be very surprised at this point for them to renege on that and go with the anemic spending with no real trades. I think it's probably going to be hedge their bets is the best way to put it. I think that if you look at what they have said in the past, that we need to pump the brakes a little bit and realize that it's not going to be um, a $200 million offseason is the best way to put it. It's going to be... $20 million here, $30 million there, $20 million here, and it's nothing going to be significant. So I think, on a whole, yes, there'll be a few more exciting signings, but I would put them into the Alex Cobb-like signings of, like, okay, that's a MLB player, but is it really going to move the needle is the best way to put it. Um, and I think we're going to see that specifically in starting pitching. Um, but, like I said, we'll get into that, but I agree. I, I can't imagine to ex- extend the rebuild. Um, I think the big question is going to be how much money do they spend this offseason and do they decide to start offering prospects out there to pull somebody in? If we see any prospects traded, it's an immediate, it's left off because you're not weakening your farm system unless you're actually going for it. And, and you know, I hate to praise you, but as soon as this started back in 2018, 2019, You said, yeah, it's going to be a while. It's probably 2023 before this is a competitive ball club. And that timetable looks spot on. Yeah. But I'll tell you, if this hadn't, this surprising thing hadn't happened here in 2022, I I might, I think we might still be extending the the rebuild. Yeah. So I, I, listen, if it's, if it's, it's truly the aspect of its liftoff, I, I think, you know, I don't want to spoil this for a future episode, but, I think we have to partake in the process. What? Philosophically? No, like, realistically. I think we need to go after Otani, honestly. <laughs> the Angels have to rebuild eventually. Otani is available for the right prospect deal. Can you imagine? We talked about outfield. Can you imagine Otani pitching and in the outfield in the American League East? In black and orange? In black and orange? No. 
Do I want to imagine it? Yeah. Yes. Yes, I do. But the Orioles had the ability to do that if they wanted to. And it wouldn't be a disaster for their farm system. But a player like a Jordan Westberg and a few other players could easily get a player like Otani. That's a liftoff type of move. Like, let me ask you this. Do you believe the the rumors that the Orioles made a legitimate swing at Correa in this past offseason? I do. See, because I don't, but I, I think based off a relationship that Elias had, mm-hmm. that they said, don't take anything less than this. Mm-hmm. Come back to us before you sign any long-term deal. I think this offseason is the time that the Orioles are going to take that swing. Like, whatever that swing is. The Otani move, sure, 100%. Yeah. Would, would I love to see it? Yes. Yep. But that kind of splash, plus a couple of... The thing about next year yep. is that if they're going to put all their chips in, J- Jordan Lyles was a brilliant move. Yep. But if they cared, they needed to make more than that. Yep. Right. And so I want by the by May of next season, the Orioles to say, oh, my God, we have too many good starters. Sure. Let's let's deal somebody. Yep. Right. That they need to prepare for that because, of course, that won't happen. Somebody sure. will get hurt. Somebody will will turn out not to perform as well as they need. You know, the Norfolk shuttle will take over and and these acquisitions will will be the the stopgap. I'm really excited about what its liftoff could mean. Sure. The question is, are they actually is going it, yeah, to it, do? Is it true or is it not true? And like I said, you know, just looking at through the players that, you know, could be traded this offseason, there's a lot of starting pitching out there that has we'll call it two years worth of control. There's one player I think I maybe mentioned it during the trade deadline that I still think is a worthwhile candidate and it's your quitty from the Astros. I just still feel like the Astros and the Orioles have additional trades to make together in order to take away some of, you know, the Astros, you know, additional assets. Um, and, you know, the Astros are going to want to, in essence, get better in their farm system as well and start promoting folks to, Replace Neltuve and replace the Korea that they lost before. Um, when prospects get traded this offseason, I'll know the Orioles are actually in. If they're just spending money on an Alex Cobb like player, then I'll be like, all right, you're just hedging your bets, is the best way to put it. But if a Jordan Westberg gets traded or Kyle Stowers even gets traded this offseason, I'll know right away the Orioles are going all in. Well, let's hope. Uh, speaking of going all in, speaking of, um, you know, dealing with a lot of hope, let's take a quick break and see what's going on at Fantasy Boss this week. Oh, when it comes to kissing, I just gotta keep insisting, oh baby, you sure do swing. When we last saw our heroes, Jake and Debbie Burns were talking about if your own Urias would cool off from being on a hot streak at the end of July and pick up a stat line of K percentage. Jake, really? Like this is this is terrible. I I'm just gonna say this. I don't feel good about it. Yes. 
I I I feel like it was manipulative. Uh-huh. I feel that it was dishonest to the process, Scott. And so in a in a bird's eye view first. Yes. I would like to simply wipe away. Wave it off? Yes. Wave it off. I'm I'm dead gonna, ball. I'm going to wave the white flag at this past fantasy boss. I don't feel like it was a fair I don't feel like it was a fair contest. All right. So the the number that was given out and why this is kind of being waved off is there is a number thrown out there of a K percentage of 10%. Um, in the past two years, um, with a 15-game rolling average, Jose Urias has had one week in two seasons of less than a 10% K percentage. To be fair, in the week prior, it was 5%. Technically, that's n- in, in a 15-game rolling average, it's not true. But maybe in a seven-game rolling average, you're right. But this seems a little outlandish, the number that was selected. Like, if we would have gone with, I would have been okay with going with, like, 15%, honestly. It was madness. It was madness. It was madness. So, Javi Burns was throwing money away. It wasn't even his money. He wasn't even his money, which is classic Javi Burns. He's just throwing away money. It's not even his money. Uh, Well, I... Scott, I apologize. Apologize. Apology accepted. I I appreciate that you did not take revenge in your uh in your guest yes. uh, appearance uh, last week, and so I was actually afraid because Bob was going to smoke me. So um, <laughs> honestly, I just I just play dumb. This is the best way to like, yeah, there's no such thing as fantasy boss. So funny thing is, is I don't play dumb every week. Yes, I'm just dumb. So since I, you were the gentleman on this given mm-hmm. aspect, and I appreciate that. I'm going to let you pick the category for the week. How about K percentage? No, I'm just <laughs> How about K percentage for Jose Urias over and under 3%? I'm going to go with the over. <laughs> 3%? I don't know. I don't know. All right. So what category are you going We're with We're looking week? for an actual category. We're going, looking for an actual category this week. I am going to go with, I'm going to go on the offensive side of the board okay. this time around. I'm curious, though, about one player in particular. Okay. Anthony Santander. Yeah. He had an, I will call it an underwhelming week last week. Yeah. He had a 79 weighted runs creative plus. Sure. My question to you is, is Santander going to be an above average or below average player? I'm going to put the line at 100 weighted runs creative plus. Scotty, what are you taking? Way over. Oh, you think he's, you think he's back? I think he's back. <sighs> I'm a little worried. I'm about not, what I'm, I'm not, seeing. I'm not worried whatsoever because I've got inside information. Is this because he's in Canada? No. He these plays at home this weekend, right? Right. You know what's in town this weekend, right? No. The UK Scouts. <laughs> <laughs> I kid, I kid. I, I just think Santander is going to, in essence, clean it up a little bit. I think he's going to play against the Cubs um, and just play a few games this weekend. I think he's going to hit well above it. Um, I think he's going to hit well above 100 waiters going through the last. I'm going to go with, I think in the next week, I think he's going to hit two home runs. Okay. That's my guess. All right. So I set it at 100, basically above or below average. Yep. You're going over. I'm going to take the under and we'll see who owns it. All right. Uh, well, with that, let's find out who was good, who was bad, and who was ugly this week in Orioles baseball.
All right, Scotty, I'm going to go ahead and get started. My good for this week, I'm going to say it's Austin Voth. And you talked about it earlier in, in the season, or in the uh, episode. Voth had a really, really good week. Uh, and his last start has been, I will call it not an aberration, right? He Agreed. went five and a third innings. Uh, he, he only gave up the two earned runs. And I can't believe what we're getting out of this guy that we picked up off the trash heap as a waiver claim in the middle of the season from the Nationals, right? Voth is providing the kind of innings and quality innings that this team needs. It's that smoke and mirror stuff. So my good for the week is Voth, but you might also say that my good for this week is the Orioles' good fortune. Whatever this devil magic is that the Orioles are, are doing, give me more. Well, we talked about it last week with me and Bob. I do think they're... It's an under, you know, discussed topic, specifically at the bullpen um, and starting pitching. Chris Holt, I think, is not getting the accolades he needs to get. I mean, the pitching as a whole has been absolutely in fuego um, this entire season. Um, and, you know, you look at Austin Voth, um, and it was interesting to hear Austin Voth talk about things. And he's just like, it was really creepy, honestly. He said, the Orioles pulled me in and they showed me things specifically from data that I had never seen before from the Nationals. And I'm like, what does that sound like? That sounds like the Baltimore Orioles from previous years. Um, and he was just like, they told me to try a few different things. I'm working on this new pitch. And I'm like, these are all things that every Major League Baseball uh, team has been doing for the past few years. And now the Baltimore Orioles are doing it. So, I mean, I agree. Austin Voth, um, including today, I know, you know, he, you know, d- didn't take the loss. He didn't get the win. Um, but Austin Voth has been really impressive as of lately, um, is the best way to put it. So he is definitely, um, was going to potentially be my good for the week. But I, I think if we're going to pick a good for the given week, I think we've got to be, you know, a little candid and kind of come back to a name that you dropped out. Um, and I'll kind of introduce him as such. Come on, I'm Dean, and my hands are so clean. At this moment, I am stapling. Yes, that is Dean Kramer, uh, who is going to be my good for the week. Uh, you know, Dean Kramer, over the past two weeks... Shout out to OBP. Uh, shout out to OBP Apparel, absolutely. Go go buy some OBP Apparel. Um, you know, again, nothing super impressive from a peripheral basis, but again, just going out there... Feeling confident, you know, I think the one um, standpoint coming back to Kramer, the bases loaded situation, getting out of the bases loaded situation, and then coming down, having shut down innings and just kind of pumping through the rest of the game was just a really, you know, really nice aspect. And again, there isn't anything that screams to me, yes, Dean Kramer is a great pitcher, but we have to recognize that Dean Kramer has been going out there for the past two weeks and pitching really well and really effectively. Um, so Dean Kramer is my good for the week. Uh, I'm glad that his hands are so fresh and so clean. I, I'm really hoping that we're seeing what we're going to get out of Kramer. I'm a, I'm a, I'm not saying I'm a believer. Mm-hmm. I'm a hoper mm-hmm. in in Dean Kramer. All right, my bad for this week is, well, not the player. My bad for this week is the actual results of the DL Hall debut. It was a bummer that. We got the 3.2 innings and the five earned runs, right? I love that he's here. And I love the stuff that I saw. And I thought that your point about, you know, the emotions and him being amped up was a good one. Uh, I would love to see, I would have liked to see him get another start, right? 
so that we could really see if it was the emotions or if, you know, there's more work to be done there. But the actual results was kind of a bummer. So it's my bad for the week. Yeah. And again, the orders came out and said he is going to do a relief pen. You never know what can happen. Like someone gets hurt. Someone misses a, a start for some reason. I wouldn't say never is never. Like I said, I we'll see what happens with DL Hall kind of going forward. Um, my bad. You know, I think we, we talked a little bit um, about it earlier, but you know, Ramon Urias, again, has not been great over this past two weeks. Um, you know, it's Ramon Urias is one of those guys who gets super hot and then super cold, super hot and super cold. He is the Mark Reynolds of the 2022 Baltimore. Rays. I thought you were going to say Katy Perry. I'm really glad. Uh, no, I'm not going to go with Katy Perry. Um, 244 average, 234 on base percentage. Um, no walks um, in, in two weeks of, of play. What about strikeouts? What can you tell me about strikeouts, guy? A decent amount of strikeouts is the best way to put it. So 56 weighted runs created plus. So he's going to get my bad for the week. Um, yeah, Ramon Urias, not, not so great is the best way to put it. All right. My ugly for the week is going to go to Austin Hayes. And it, not a great week. Not, I mean, no, no other way to say it. But one of the things that you and I have always talked about with Austin Hayes is can he be healthy enough to be effective, mm-hmm. right? And I feel like over the last few weeks – We've been talking about him coming back from injury, not being 100%, what have you. I can't tell how much of his current woes are still not back yet and how much is just current woes, right? But uh, the result's just not what we were hoping for. In the past week, a six weighted runs created plus 150 average, 176 BABIP, and just a, a 50 ISO on the sticks not getting it done. Yeah, it's just just not good whatsoever. I mean, Austin Hayes is clearly, um, yeah, like I said, Austin Hayes is clearly calling. Like, I don't know what we're gonna do with Austin Hayes. I mean, I almost want to be like, I'd rather just see more Ryan McKenna right now than Austin Hayes. Um, but yeah, it's just it's really bad for a player that was pretty much the best player for the Orioles for the first half of the season. I mean, we were screaming for him to get All Star uh, consideration, correct? And now just no chance. Um. So my ugly for the week is going to go to the obvious choice. It's going to go to the New York Yankees who continue to flounder and continue to be um, the most gosh awful team in all major league baseball. That's great. That's the whistle basically indicating that the uh, New York Yankees once again are um, pretty much in a losing pattern right now against the Tampa Bay Rays. It looks like they are going to be swept by the Tampa Bay Rays, which again, is not good for the Baltimore Orioles, in all honesty. Uh, in fact, it, it's very bad. Um, but he, the fact of the matter that the Yankees uh, have only scored, I think it's seven runs in any given week. You hate uh, to see it. Hate to see it. It has never happened in franchise history. Um, you know, I really have to say it couldn't happen to a better franchise and it couldn't happen to a better group of fans. Um, folks that are Yankees fans, Enjoy watching the captain. Enjoy watching ESPN because certainly uh, your team is not enjoyable to watch right now. All right. With that, um, why don't we go ahead and uh, blow the save? Jake, I'll let you take it away.
Scotty, the Orioles have announced a partnership with Superbook Sports to bring a sports lounge to Camden Yards in 2023. And for all of you playing at home, a sports lounge sports lounge is a place where you can buy alcohol and bet on sports, live bets. Um, Scotty, I have to be honest. Mm-hmm. I have a discomfort mm-hmm. with the presence of sports books in baseball. Mm-hmm. And it has everything to do with the fact that this is a sport that has a troubled relationship with one of its greatest players yeah. over gambling. Yeah. This is a sport. Jake, I'm going to stop you right now. So this is sponsored by Fangraphs. We're going to do an over and under on this bowling this save. If you believe that this segment is going to go over 45 seconds, bet the over. If not, go with the under. This is sponsored by Fangraphs and DraftKings. Go ahead, Jake. That's the thing. That's the thing. <laughs> this is this is the sport that is has kept Pete Rose out of the Hall of Fame because of betting on sports. This is the sport that had a World Series thrown. Yep. And and you know, I get the fact that's 100 years ago. But the sports relationship with gambling being basically thrown away for money puts a bad taste in my mouth and and i want to be super clear yeah i have nothing against sports betting yeah i do not care a hundred percent that is not bothering me i'm not turning my nose up at at, at you know jabby for, <laughs> for <laughs> of course this is this is targeted directly at jabby <laughs> for for you know being into betting i i a hundred percent don't care i think it's the hypocrisy that really gets at me that baseball including the orioles but baseball at large is getting into bed with sports gambling when that has been the third rail for for almost the entirety of the existence of the sport it just feels awkward uh jake i'm gonna say this and say this one time only um baseball ever since its origin has been full of hypocrisy so this is just the next level of hypocrisy that we have accepted onto it at this given moment um and we just need to come to accept um, that baseball is hypocrisy in sports in general is hypocrisy. Um, and it's not that big of a deal. I'm much more curious on the basis of number one, where does this go in the stadium? And number two, I'm curious, how much traffic do we actually think this is going to generate is the best way to put it. Um, I'll tell you where I think they're going to put it and you're not going to be happy. Okay. I think they're going to put it in Dempsey's. Hmm. That would be a bummer, and it would make a ton of sense. Yeah, I think they're going to put it in Dempsey's. I think they're going to basically open up that one section of the room where they'll have the bar in the one area, and in the other area, they're going to have a bedding room, and I think that's the way it's going to work. You are 100% not wrong. Yeah, I think it makes a ton of sense to basically do it. Everything is enclosed. You can take it. You can even let people in from the outside at certain points if you needed to. It just makes a ton of sense. You could run it on off days. You could run it on off days. It makes a ton of sense. <clears throat> Man, I hate that you're not wrong, and I hate that that's the answer. I'm almost positive that's what's going to happen. Because, again, it doesn't make sense to put it into the concourse area. You literally want where the most foot traffic is in the stadium. Where is the most foot traffic in the stadium? It's on Utah Street. I would love to know... If there are other stadiums where this already exists that the Orioles have done some sort of study about what kind of revenue this brings, you know, and all that. Um, 
I don't have any of that data. I, I, I didn't only pour research about one thing for this podcast. Um, well, the whole thing is like, it's got to be in essence sponsored by the Maryland Stadium Authority, number one. Hmm. And it's also got to be sponsored by the Maryland Gambling Association or the Maryland Lottery, correct? Because all casinos are also run through that same basis. I don't understand the legislation well enough to know if that is, if that comes under that purview. I feel like it has to, because it's a standpoint of just like how current sports betting is going to basically be under a certain purview for online gambling. I feel like there is going to be that standpoint, like right now at Horseshoe, for example, you have to go into Horseshoe. I can't just go into a 7-Eleven mm-hmm. and bet on sports gambling. Eventually, I'll be able to do that online um, with legislation passing. Um, but I feel like maybe the Maryland Stadium Authority had to have signed off on this, had to agree with it, had to make sure the Orioles agreed with it. Sure. And for the Orioles to do this, there had to be enough money to go around, right? Everybody had to be happy with the take. How much money do you think was actually involved? I don't know. I, I Like I said, I'm totally ignorant of that. I have no idea. Here's what I... how This is how much money I think was involved. I think it was probably less than $6 million. Really? Like, I bet you it was very... I bet you it was some bit of money, but I bet you it wasn't a ton of money. I mean, don't get me wrong. $6 million is a lot of money for me, but... Yeah. But for the Orioles, like, really? I bet you that's what it was. I bet you it was a pretty small sum of money. <laughs> well, uh, we'll we'll see. We'll see. Uh, I'm really looking forward to the Orioles theme update of the film The Sting uh, and all the other things that uh, gambling at the ballpark can bring. But yeah, that, that is our show. And remember, you can find this and our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Bird's Eye View is available for wherever it is you want to get your podcast. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. Please remember to rate and interview this show. And a messenger, also, we appreciate the feedback, and please bet on the mutters. The mutters are always the way uh, to bet um, going forward um, as it relates to your sports betting. Come and get social with us. You can email us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can find us all over social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, TikToks. But the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter, where we tweet at birdseyeviewbal. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I will bid you all a fond adieu adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there. And let's go O's. still here? It's over. Go home.